Happy New Year. How's your, uh, how's your year been so far? Pretty good? You look pretty awake. Maybe you're like me. You stayed up <clears throat> till midnight, uh, East Coast time. <laughs> I always stay up for New Year's in New York. I was in bed by 9.20. And I know that's kind of late. Nine o'clock's usually when I go to bed. All right. Um, really appreciate Jeff reading the passage from last Sunday. I'm going to assume that I emailed him the wrong text. Jeff read exactly what was emailed to him, uh, so I appreciate that. Let me read uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and uh, this is a text we're going to be in this morning. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It's a parable, and then we'll pray, jump into this. And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor, God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. Afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. God, we ask you this morning as we take a little bit of a uh, time in your word that you might stir in our hearts uh, an affection for you and a love for you, that you might open our eyes to your goodness that would move us by your grace to seek you in prayer. So God, we thank you for your word and we pray, God, that by your spirit you would change our hearts and make us more like your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. The parable of the persistent widow, and thankfully, in this particular parable, Jesus gives us the application right, in the, right at the beginning, verse 1. You probably heard me uh, read it. He told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So he gives us the application. Here's what this parable is intended to uh, draw out in us, that we would always pray and not lose heart. So that's the application. However, it's not necessarily the primary point of the parable. As with most passages uh, in the scripture, they have a primary idea, a point that it's making, and then that ought to be applied. So Jesus tells us at the beginning of this parable the application, and if we're not careful, we'll focus so intently on the application, which is critically important, we'll miss the point. We'll focus on the application and miss the point. So here's, let me give you the point. This is a parable of contrast. Parable of contrast. What that means is Jesus is looking at two different things and then showing how those things are not the same or how they are different. I, I don't want to give it away, but here we go. The judge is not a good guy. Did you see that? In fact, it says he doesn't fear God or respect man. And then when he's talking about himself, he says, I don't fear God or respect man. So he's an evil guy. He knows he's an evil guy. The judge is an evil guy, whereas God is good. So the parable is contrasting this judge 
and God himself. And that contrast between the judge and God is intended to motivate us to apply the parable. If a person will persist in seeking justice from an evil person, why wouldn't you persist in seeking justice from God, who is good? So the point of the parable is God cares deeply for you. God is good and God cares deeply for you. And one of the applications is, so why don't we persist in praying to him since he cares for us so deeply? In fact, we might even say this, if we don't accept the point that God is good, you won't accept the application, which is persist in prayer. Not to get too far afield to the application, because we do that towards the end, right? If you have trouble praying, and if you're alive and a human, you probably do, one of the reasons we have trouble praying is we're not convinced that God is good. One of the reasons prayer is a bit of a, a tough thing for us to do is because we go to prayer and we wonder, is this guy even listening? Does he even give a rip? And this is what the parable is trying to show us. Jesus is trying to show us God is good. So therefore, since God is good, we ought to persist in our prayer to him. So let's look at the, the first way of applying this. God cares deeply for you, so keep on praying. Have you ever called one of those customer service helplines? So the answer is yes. You know, I used to like it when you'd call and get a person and they would tell you no. I mean, then you at least were talking to a person. I used to have a job and, and uh, one of the things we had to do with one of our vendors is call them when we had trouble with the, with the supplies that they provided. And we would call their 800 number and what we called it was the dead horse line. Because you feel like you're beating a dead horse. Nothing happens. You call this number over and over and over again. Nothing happens. You, you call the number. There are, are long wait times. There are incomprehensible menus. Push star 75 if you're standing on your left foot in the northern hemisphere, whatever it might be. There are voice prompts. Oh, the bane of Please say what your question is. No. Put a human on the line. And then if you want to get any uh, resolution, you uh, have to... You have to persist, as it turns out. Uh, if you flew over the holidays, you probably had to persist. Uh, and you may still be persisting. We should repeatedly, over and over again, seek justice and help from God since we know he cares for us and we recognize that he knows the difficulty we face living in this world. So unlike uh, the helpline, the 1-800-put-you-on-hold-forever line, we should persist in seeking God for justice and help because we know he cares for us and he knows exactly how difficult it is to live for Jesus in this particular world. So there was a city and there was a judge and a widow was seeking justice. She was seeking relief from this judge and she does it repeatedly. We're not told precisely what the issue was. We don't know what she was seeking relief about, but our assumption would be it had something to do with finances. More than likely, it had something to do with uh, land that either she or her husband or her sons uh, would have had control over. Land was how you made your living. You would grow something and sell it, or you would grow something and you would, would eat it. There's a number of times in the Old Testament 
where uh, people would have to seek justice related to the, to the land that they would have because there was concern if they lost their land, they would lose their ongoing livelihood. There was a, a family in the Old Testament, uh, a guy named Zelophehad. He had four daughters, five daughters, I should say. One of them was named Noah. I don't know why I remember that. So he's got these daughters, and they go to Moses, and they say, well, listen, we got a problem. Our dad had, only had daughters. And so therefore, when we go into the inheritance in the promised land, our family will not be able to keep its land because the land reverts to the sons. And so our family is going to be destitute the way things are. So Moses went to the Lord, and the Lord said, they're absolutely right. You know what? If there's no sons, the, the daughters inherit the land. However, they're going to have to marry within their clan which they did. So what happened was is they had a problem. The way the law was being applied would leave them destitute. So they went to Moses to receive a judgment regarding how the law ought to be applied, and they received relief from that judgment. You know of another widow who had the same kind of problem. Her name was Naomi. She was a widow, and then her sons also died. So her and Ruth were back in Bethlehem, but the problem was they were going to be destitute till finally... Boaz stepped in as the redeemer to ensure they would have access to their land so that they would have a living, so they, they would be able to keep living. One other example of a widow who might be destitute if she didn't get a good hearing, and we're not sure if her story was true or false. Joab told a woman from Tekoa to go and talk to David. She want, he, Joab wanted to convince him of something, and he said, tell him this story. So she goes to David and tells him this tale. I don't know if it's true or not. I like to think it is. And she says, listen, I am a widow, and I have two sons. So what we would assume by that is her sons would work her land, so that's her retirement plan, 401k and uh, Social Security. That were the names of her two sons. <laughs> and they would work her land. Well, they go out in the field, and they get into a fight, and nobody is there to break them up. Nobody is there to, to stop the fight, so 401k kills Social Security. I don't know what happened. We don't even know what they were fighting over. If I had to guess what they were fighting over, it was probably over the birthright. Because if she only had two sons, one of them likely got twice as much than the other one, and my guess is the other one didn't like that. We don't know which one prevailed, but one of them died. So now you have a woman and her murderer son on the land. And the village said this, we need to take the murderer and kill him. Now, why would the village want to kill the murderer? Because that's what the law says, harumph, in their self-righteousness. No, why? Because then they're going to get the land. So what's going to happen is she is going to lose her son. She is then going to lose her land. And these villagers seeking justice, oh, yes, now, here's the thing. The law said if there was a murderer in the land, you had to deal with it. In fact, the law said if you didn't take care of murderers, the land would be cursed. So the woman goes to David and presents him with this conundrum of a case. If they kill my son, I will be destitute. But at the same time, if they don't kill my son, there will be no justice. I mean, you can't keep a murderer alive. What? So, what's, so she had to go... To the, to the king for judgment. What did David say? Your son's fine. He, he's, he essentially pardoned the son. Why? Because the widow needs to be cared for. The correct application of the law in this case is 
Your son is pardoned. There's lots of reasons why that might have been the case. Maybe he was defending himself. Who knows? And so the, the son is pardoned, and the woman is able to remain on her land. She went to the judge for relief of injustice. Her village was going to steal her land, and the judge gave her relief. So it was something akin to this. This woman is going to this judge and seeking relief over and over and over again, and the judge is routinely blowing her off. Get out of here. I don't even care what you have to say, because he doesn't fear God, and he doesn't respect man. Now, likely this judge is a Jew, because he is giving law, he is giving decisions likely related both to Roman and Jewish law. So what we would assume about this judge is he is a Jew that has been appointed by Rome. So here you have a fellow Jew ignoring a widow in the land. Exodus chapter 18, we learn a little bit about how the Bible wanted the people of Israel to care for the people like this woman. First of all, let's talk about judges. The next day, this is Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So Moses would offer judgment. Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, and his father-in-law said this to Moses, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone all, all the, with all the people standing around you from morning till evening? And Moses said, the people come uh, to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God. Moses' father-in-law said, what you're doing isn't good. Your people are going to wear you out and you're going to wear them out. Listen to my voice. I will give you advice. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way which they must walk and what they must do. But listen, look for able men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and tens and let them judge the people at all times. So what we have here is Moses' father-in-law telling Moses, appoint judges. What are the characteristics of these judges? Let me tell you again. They need to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? It means as a judge, I have two people standing before me. One says this, one says this, like Judge Wapner. That's dating myself. Judge Judy, is she still a thing? I don't even know. And so I have to make a decision about who's right here. So what does it mean to fear God? It means I assume a couple of things about God. Number one, that he's present, that he's aware of the proceedings at real time, knows what's going on between these two people, and secondly, that he has a strongly held opinion about what's right. So to fear God as a judge says, God has a strongly held opinion about what the right choice is here, and if I intentionally choose the wrong choice, I know someday I get to have a conversation with God about that choice. That's what it means to fear the Lord. As a judge, I have uh, uninhibited discretion to choose this or this, right or wrong, and I know someday I'm going to have to give account to God. If I don't fear God, what am I going to do? Whatever I want. If I do fear God, I'm going to say, I want to make a decision that's consistent with what I know about God. And we know this is, uh, that's also complicated. So, so to be a judge in Israel, you had to fear the Lord. That was one primary qualification. You had to be trustworthy. A person who is, uh, has ethics and character. 
have to hate a bribe. That is, not be swayed by others who would offer a reward to make an incorrect decision. Is this the case for the judge that Jesus is talking about in the parable? He meets none of these qualifications. He doesn't fear the Lord. He doesn't care about people. There's one person he cares about, we should say, himself. That's it. So we know already we have a judge here that shouldn't be a judge. And this woman is persistently coming to this guy for help. Secondly, about widows. This is in Exodus chapter 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. That's not complicated, is it? You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. So here you have a judge who had a widow before him. He only had to do one thing to, to, um, in order to avoid mistreating her. All he had to do was make a decision. In this case, he wasn't even willing to make a decision. He didn't have to choose in her favor. She could have been wrong. It could have been that her uh, case should have gone against her, but he wouldn't even render a decision. He just put her off, and he was mistreating her because this judge didn't fear God. He didn't care about others. Okay, go back to Luke 18. Look at verse 7. We know a little bit about the judge. Now let's learn a little bit about God from this parable. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? So immediately we learn a little bit about God and the people who are going to God in prayer. What's the relational connection between the widow and the judge? There's no relational connection. There's no connection of family, affinity, or affection. But what we see right away in verse 7 is what's the relational connection between God and those who seek him? He he describes God giving justice to his elect. First of all, it's describing those who are his as ones that God himself has chosen. So God is the one who takes initiative to redeem those who come to him. Now, we have to believe, but, but the one who takes the initiative is God, the Bible says, I think. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we decided to mend our ways, God decided to send us a hope. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God takes the initiative to restore relationship and offer redemption to us, and we respond in faith. So the first thing, the relationship is described as God electing, choosing, taking initiative. What else do we know about this relationship between those who are redeemed and God? How does God describe this relationship elsewhere in the Bible? Number one, we're described as heirs to the kingdom of God, co-heirs with Christ. We're described as sons and daughters of God. Adopted is the word the Bible uses in Ephesians. We have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if the judge doesn't fear God and doesn't care about people, God, on the other hand, is described as caring deeply for us. He chooses us. He redeems us. He forgives us. He gives us a place in his kingdom described as co-heirs of the kingdom of God. 
He gives us a place of family being described as brothers and sisters of Christ, sons and daughters of God himself. So here we have a relational connection with God. He he has a a connection with us that is a, a connection of affection. So if a judge will listen to a widow who doesn't care about her, will God listen to you since he cares so deeply? What's the answer according to the parable? Yes, of course he will. The the judge gave the woman a decision to avoid being annoyed. God does not answer your prayers because he is annoyed. God has never once heard and answered one of your prayers to get you to quiet down. Not even once. He gives justice because he cares deeply. He favors us because he chose us. That's what this parable is telling us. God cares deeply for us, so therefore keep praying because we know how much he cares uh, for us. Now, this situation in in Jesus' day would have been a very, very familiar situation. The idea of someone going to a judge and not getting a fair hearing, and and this would have been a very common understanding, that, that somebody would go to a judge and they'd find out the judge was on the take with the Romans or on the take with the local tax collector or whatever it might be. This is not a a surprising thing. It's not terribly surprising now when you see on the news a local official that has been bribed and has been making decisions in favor of their friends. Like, oh, let me put on my surprise face. A politician did something unethical. What? The question we have to ask ourselves in terms of application is this. Do we agree that God is good? That's what Jesus is getting at. Do you agree that God is good? The next part of this is is the harder part, because theologically, you can write it down. Yes, God is good all the time. I've heard the song, good for us. Yeah, God is good. But but is it something that you believe? That, That God is always acting and behaving toward you in a way that favors you as a son or daughter? Because this is where persistent prayer comes from, is when we are moved by a recognition that God is always favorable and moving toward us out of his goodness. And you don't have to answer out loud, or please don't, I should say. How often do we view God really more like the, the judge? That we just got to pester him and pester him and pester him. Maybe finally he's going to hear us if we just are, are annoying enough. That's what's interesting about the parable. Jesus is drawing this contrast because he knew the people of that day, as well as us, we tend to think of God in the same terms that people think of that judge. That he's not listening, he's not nice, he's in a bad mood, and in order to get what I need out of him, I am just going to bother him. That's not, first of all, it's not possible for you to bother him. What, and, and what Jesus is calling us to do is get really familiar and comfortable with this notion that God is good and kind and contrasted with this evil judge that we might persist in prayer because we know he is anxious to act favorably toward us. God is good. God cares deeply for you. So keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop. Because, because God cares so deeply for you and the things that are on your heart that, that he is calling us because of the depth of God's love to
to persist in seeking him in prayer. Now, maybe you agree with me on this. You say, you know what? I know God is good. I know he's always favorable to us because of Christ. I know he's always in a good mood, generally in a good mood. I don't know how you might put that. But how long exactly do I have to wait? I mean, is that a fair question? That's a question. I don't know if it's fair or not. But how long, how long do I have to wait? And, 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 and how long does God plan on waiting? And, and in fact, how long does God plan on waiting? At what point is it taking so long that I no longer believe God is actually good? What's the time limit of my view of God's affection? So if he waits 10 days to hear my prayer, is he good? But if he waits 15, he's average. And if he waits a whole month, then he's actually just like the cantankerous judge. So how long do I have to wait? And is God still good because waiting is a part of the, the deal? God cares deeply for you, so keep praying. And, and the second thing I want to point out from, from this parable, don't grow tired of keeping on. God cares deeply for you, so keep praying. Don't grow tired. And we need to understand from the parable why we need to be warned not to grow tired. A story is told about this guy who had a client, and the client called him up and said, we need you to come visit one of our locations and uh, give us your opinion on some things we're dealing with at this particular location. And they gave him the city, and they said, we booked a hotel. And he booked his own flight so he could get the miles. So he flew to the city. He went to the hotel, looking forward to getting in, getting some rest for a busy day the next day. <clears throat> and he got to the hotel, walked in the lobby, familiar hotel, and he was excited about being able to get a meal, <clears throat> take a hot shower, and maybe watch ESPN. He walks up to the desk, gives his name, and they, we got no record of you. And he said, uh, oh, that's all right. Uh, well, just, just give me whatever room you got. We don't have any. We're full. So he's trying to figure this out. So he texts the guy, did you book the hotel? He said, yeah, what hotel? Oh, yeah, no, that's the one I'm at. And finally, they figure out, he's at the right city, he's at the right hotel, wrong state. <laughs> you know, check your email. And so here's the thing, here's the point. He, he walks into this hotel, and he's looking forward to what all of us do when we walk into a lobby, hopefully a chocolate chip cookie, maybe a cold beverage, get checked in and relax. And that's what's on the mind. And he realizes now, this is, he's not there yet. He can't, he can't move into that full relaxation mode and rest mode because he's not to his destination yet. And this is what happens to believers. Because it's one thing to have a long road ahead of you. That road is harder if you think you're already home. If, if you think you've arrived, it should look like this. It should look like rest and relaxation. And it should like, look like ease. And just like this business traveler, he realized he's not there yet, so therefore his expectations are all ruined. It's important to understand we have to keep praying and not grow tired because God cares deeply for us because the parable is intended to communicate to us we're not home yet. The final time of ease is yet to come. So it's, it's really important that we stay alert as we wait for God, and we wait for his final justice. In order to wait properly, we have to be aware of the times. God has saved us. We aren't home yet. We talked about this a little bit at Christmas Eve. This is the time between the advents. He has come, but his kingdom is not yet fully 
realized. And so therefore, in this time, we have to keep praying. Don't grow tired because God cares deeply for us. Look at verse 1 again. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So on the one hand, this is an application that communicates an important truth to us. We should persist in prayer. On the other hand, here's what his application assumes. It assumes there is a gap of time between you when you pray for something and when your prayer is answered. If he needs to communicate to us you need to persist in prayer, then we can assume there's a gap of time, can't we? You don't have to persist in prayer if when you pray for something, it just magically appears. Persist in prayer for 30 seconds? That's not what he's saying. We need to persist in prayer because it assumes that there is a, a gap in, the, in time. There is a delay, at least from our perspective, of when this prayer for help occurs and when God's answer for justice and relief comes. God is always on time. He is never early and he is never late. He always answers precisely when he intends for his relief to come. And for us, that's always late. And what Jesus is telling us by this parable is God hears and answers, but his, his fullness comes later. I'm going to illustrate this uh, through something that happened in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. People of Israel were in the wilderness, and they got hungry. There was no McDonald's. There was no In-N-Out Burger. There was nothing. So they start complaining. Surprise, surprise. You do the same thing. And so what does God give to them? He gives them the, what is this? That's what manna means. What is this? So they called it that for the rest of time. What is this? At some point, somebody should have said, we know what it is. Can we come up with a new name? No, we're going to call it what is this for the rest of time. So God gives them manna. I want you to think about this just for a minute, and I'm going to show you. Um, just think about this. Did God have to give them manna to keep them alive? Can you stew on that? Did, did God have to give, give them manna for them not to die of starvation? So if he, if he didn't, and I'll show you in a minute why I know this is true, why did he? Okay, first of all, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 4, we've already covered it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I love how nowadays we always think the Spirit leads us into happy, happy, joy, joy. The Spirit will routinely lead you into the wilderness. Anyway, moving on. That's aside. That one's free. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. When those days were ended, he was, surprise, surprise, hungry. Jesus was hungry. Why was Jesus hungry? It's not your question. You say, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but I don't know how to make that fit. <laughs> because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. Should he still be alive? No, you're supposed to be dead. This isn't the first time that was, he's, well, Jesus is Jesus. He's got the flesh, so he doesn't die when he doesn't eat. No, it's happened other times, too. Moses didn't eat up on the mountain for 40 days. This has happened before. God is not required to feed you to keep you alive, right? We don't like where this is going. So why did God give Israel the manna in the wilderness? 
if he didn't have to feed them to keep them alive. Because he's nice, and he knows being hungry is terrible. Does anybody else get cranky when you're hungry? Well, yeah, you're like, it's 1130, I'm already cranky. Stayed up till New York, New Year's Eve, tired and hungry and cranky. So God hears and answers. God doesn't have to answer the way we want. We pray to God. The people of Israel come to God and say, God, we are hungry. They assume if you're hungry, you're going to starve. God has other options. No, I can keep you from not starving even though you're hungry. And and the people of Israel would not be happy with that option. They wanted to not starve while also not being hungry. And God is just a nice guy and gives the manna for no other reason than so they don't feel hungry. And we know this is going to go sideways at the end of their time in the wilderness. What do they have to say about the manna? We are so sick of this bread that is described in the Bible as the bread of angels. If, if you're a parent, have you ever had this happen with your kid where they ask for something and you give it to them and then they hate it? What do you want to do? Whatever, you want, whatever the thing is, you want to throw it in a lake. You know, that's right. But God doesn't respond this way. They were sick and tired of the manna because anything for a long period of time, 40 years is a long time to only eat one thing. They, got, they, they began to get tired of it. So God hears, God answers, but the fullness of their uh, enjoying uh, the fruits of the land was going to come where? In the promised land, where the Bible says they will have cisterns full of water they did not dig. They will each sit under their own vine, and they will each have a fig tree, and they will eat, and they will drink, and they will have a summer home and a winter home. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 8, God is so concerned. He says, you're going to have so much that you're going to need to be careful not to forget me. That's how much you're going to have. But the time of that fullness is not the wilderness. The wilderness is the time of just trusting God to keep me alive, that God will answer in his own time, and that fullness is a day coming. So this is the the trouble we face. God says, I am good, I am kind, I'm going to watch over everything in your life, but the fullness of justice, the fullness of all that ought to be is when? That day, the day of the Lord. That's the day of fullness. That's the day when the kingdom comes in and all of its power and all of its uh, glory. And until that day, we wait for the fullness of God's answer. So God can answer, God can provide, but the promised land is still to come. A couple of other illustrations of that. Jesus was nice enough to raise Lazarus from the dead so he could die again. Even though he raised him, which is fantastic. I don't know if Mary or Martha or Lazarus died first later. Well, we know Lazarus died first, but his second death. But that means that they had to to watch their brother die twice. So so you would say, well, Jesus intervened and he provided. And that's fantastic. But it's not the full thing yet. When is the full thing coming? On that day, the day of the Lord. So we pray for things, and we want God to answer, but we have to understand everything about this time between the advents, between the Lord saving us to the day we return, is, is temporary. 
in, in, in God's kindness. God cares deeply for us. Keep on praying. Don't grow tired because he will provide what he sees fit and, and is for our best now. But we know one day everything will be granted. Look at verse 8 of Luke chapter 18. I tell you, he will give justice to them, that is those of us seeking God in prayer, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here's the challenge. To have steadfastness in the Lord to the very end. Because what Jesus is saying, we understand there's a, a time where we pray, and there's a gap of time between when God answers, and, and, and will that gap of time be so long that our faith wavers? What if the prayers you're praying for right now deeply, and, and heartfelt, and, and with tears, what if God's intention is to answer those prayers on the day of the Lord? I mean, I'd, I don't know. I'd, I would hope, as one who prays with you about the things in my life, as we pray together about the things we share together, our prayer would be that God would respond and we could, we could share stories and testimony of God intervening in, their, in our lives. But what Jesus is telling us very plainly, God will answer speedily. Sometimes speedily is tomorrow. Sometimes speedily is the day of the Lord. That's what he's saying. Some of, many of our prayers, he is going to answer on the day of the Lord. All of the wrongs that we have experienced, all the injustice that has been loaded onto us, all the burdens that we carry, all of those things will be undone. And many of those things, he's going to answer those things for us on that day. Jesus asks a very, very straightforward question. On that day, however far the way that is, will he find faith? Will we still be alert? Will we still be steadfast? Will we still be faithful? Or does our alertness and steadfastness and faithfulness have a time limit? We've seen this in the scripture. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, went into the garden and he invited three of his disciples for a prayer meeting. For him, it was a prayer meeting. For them, it was a nap. And not a good one. He interrupted them like three times. So we, we know their steadfastness in that moment. Jesus calls them to join him in praying, and they, they're, they're just exhausted, either worn out or the, the sadness of it, <coughs> or just fatigued to the point that their steadfastness wore out. And Jesus challenges us. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith to the very end? God cares deeply for you. So keep praying. Keep praying. Whatever it is, the things that God has put on your heart, whether it be things of this world, whether it be uh, provisions that you need, financial challenges you face, relationships that are destroyed or being destroyed, whether it be uh, health challenges that we all deal with, whether it be family things that we wonder about. And, and the things of this world is sometimes it seems like the, the wheels are coming off the world around us and we seek the Lord in prayer. We need to, to keep praying because God cares so deeply for us. And then we keep praying and we don't grow tired because we know God will answer speedily. And one of the things our souls have to be challenged with is 
Will we set the time limit for God or will we accept his time limit? By his grace, many of our prayers he's going to answer in the moment. Or within a time period, he said, we can share with other friends around us. Hey, look, God answered this prayer and we can praise God. There will also be many, many things in our lives where he answers our prayer on that day. Where we stand before the Lord and he shows us what was unfolding and we say, now I see what you were up to. Jesus, simple question for us, is on that day, will he find faith on the earth? God cares deeply for you. Keep praying. Don't grow tired. Uh, three little ideas to end with. You say, well, we've already had enough. Oh, man, you guys are in trouble. That clock says 11:12. Merle, see it? Merle can testify. I thought I had days to go. <clears throat> this is like that story in the book of Joshua where the sun stood still. I could <laughs> preach all day. I was wondering. I was like, man, I really feel like I've been... Okay, good. Okay, it's 11:12. <laughs> all right, I'm going to start on next week's sermon. Here we go, Jason. All right. I'm still going to give you three things. I don't care what time it is. First thing about Jesus to grow in being like Jesus is to grow in a desire for justice. That is, wrongs being made right. To grow in being like Jesus is to grow in a desire for justice. That is, for wrongs to be made right. To be more and more like Christ. One of the characteristics of Jesus is heartbreak when people are wronged. That's a, that's a normal part of becoming like Jesus. I might even suggest that this is especially true in having a heightened sensitivity for the wrong experienced by others. That's what Jesus was like and is like. That's why he uses this widow as the example. She should not have experienced what she was experiencing. And we look at that judge, and he doesn't have to care. And really, anybody else in her village doesn't have to care. Because what happens to her will have no effect on them or their lives. And one of the things we have to recognize about the Lord is he says, God gives justice to his elect. We talked about that earlier, about the characteristics of the judges in Israel. They had to fear the Lord. When they looked at the affairs of others, they assumed God had an opinion, and they wanted their opinion to match God's, knowing that one day they would have to have, they would have to give an account. We should look at the world around us, and we should look at the ways people are wronged, and we should be moved at minimum to seek justice for the people in our lives who are experiencing wrong. To grow in being like Jesus is to grow in the desire for things to be made right and for us to have a, a role in making things right. Uh, next thing. I, I was reading what, if you're wondering what I was thinking about, I wasn't pondering the time, it was, I had no have you ever read something you've written and said, I have no idea what that means? <laughs> have you under, ever prayed something? This is a silly question. Have you ever prayed something and wondered why God hasn't answered? 
First thing, you should tell God that. And you can phrase that however you want. If you, if you feel like you have to be polite, read the Psalms. The Psalms are anything if not impolite. God, where are you? I've been crying all night. My bones are burning. They feel like they're on fire, by the way. Any chance you could intervene? You know, th- these are the Psalms. Very impolite. So go ahead. If you're praying for something and God is not answering you, you should tell God your opinion. It doesn't mean he agrees with you, but at least you're being honest with God. By the way, he already knows you have a terrible attitude. You may as well let him in on it. I'm, not, I'm being serious. What's wrong with that? There's two reasons, though, from this parable why God hasn't provided relief that you are seeking. Number one, he could have something better in mind. I don't know what that is, and I know I've been there with you. There isn't anything better than what we're asking for, right? I'm asking for this God, and God says, no, I have something better in mind. Good for you. There's nothing better than you just giving me what I want. That's how we, and that's fine. I understand that. So number one is God might have something better in mind that you might not have thought of, or he sees things differently than we do. Or here's the other thing that might be going on. This is going to bother you to no end. Or he may have every intention of answering that prayer on that day, the day of the Lord. And that's absolutely within his wheelhouse. Say, Lord, I need relief from this. And God is saying, absolutely you have it, On the day of the Lord, no questions asked, you're going to get the whole thing, the whole ball of wax. Everything you're asking for, but not not today. All that's coming on that day. And that's where we're going to have to really struggle with, with what we want from God. Is God only handy for us if he's good for us today, or are we okay with God if some of what he is going to provide for us is on the day when his kingdom comes in? Fully. Why hasn't God answers? answered us? Sometimes he has something different, something better in mind. Other times his intention is to answer on that day. That's what Jesus is telling us, and he's simply asking us this question. When he returns, will he find faith on earth? Or is that too long to wait? That's just something you have to ask yourself. When he returns, will he find faith on earth? Or will those of us who are believers say, actually, no, that's too long to wait, so no thanks. Okay, last thing. Well, it's still 11-12, so. (laughs) Repetition and persistence aren't the same. And this is going to be a little ticky-tack, but I just thought I would mention it. Excuse me. Repetition is this idea where I'm going to repeat the same words over and over again to try and get God to do something. And and, and if I can be a little bit condescending here for, for that sort of approach, that's what we call an incantation. That's what a magician does. They repeat magic words over and over again to try and get the universe to do something magical. Jesus here isn't calling us to, re- to re- repetitive language. This isn't a call to repeat the same words over and over and over again. Uh, for example, the, um, the Lord's Prayer. Do you know why Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer? To keep them from having prayers that were repetitive. So what do we do? We quote the Lord's Prayer repetitively. I think that's kind of funny. He said, because the Pharisees had these prayers they would pray, they meant nothing because they were just words in the air. So the disciples will show us how to pray. He says, well, you pray like this. It's very basic, 
information. You, pray, you praise God. You ask for forgiveness. Ask for stuff you need. There you go. Have at it. And so we take that prayer and turn it into a Pharisee's prayer and repeat it over and over again like it's a magical incantation. Persistence is not repetition. And repetition of same words over and over again reduces our relationship with God to this genie in a bottle, and we're trying to figure out the magic word formula. Persistence is a, is a heart toward God that says, he hears me, and he's fully engaged with me right now. So sometimes your prayers are going to be verbal and, and have lots of words to them, and you're thinking clearly, and other times your prayers will be something like this. The spiritual form of it is something like, have you ever prayed this prayer? Ugh. That's all you got. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I hope you have. I mean, I don't hope you're, well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I just mean, I hope you feel that you have a relationship with God where your prayer can just be, Ugh. Read your Psalms. This is what happens. Persistence is a heart that seeks God, knowing he hears, knowing he is favorable towards us, and knowing he will answer either in the immediacy of the moment or finally on that day. And so we persist because God cares deeply for us. So I don't want you to take this concept of persistence and then turn it into an incantation where you have a magic formula prayer that you're going to read every day thinking that if you say the right words in the right rhythm for the right amount of time, shed the right number of tears, it'll somehow trigger God to get him to do what you want. God's already on your side. He's already fully engaged. He already cares more deeply than you can imagine. So just keep going to him with a heart that says, I can trust him. And we can challenge one another. As the days grow along, as they sometimes grow a little bit hard, we say, no, let's be those that are, when he comes, he finds faith in us. God cares deeply for you. Keep praying. Don't get tired. God, we thank you for your love that you have shown for us. We, have thank, you, we thank you, God, that you hear us, even when our prayers are, are groans and moans. We thank you, God, that you hear our prayers even when our motives are mixed. We thank you, God, that you hear our prayers because you care so deeply. The enemy has tried to convince us through the events of our life that you don't care. But we read in your word that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, and that means you care. And that means you care deeply enough to provide for us the way for us to have a relationship with you and forgiveness. So God, we would pray that you would open our eyes to how much you care for us. And that because of that, we would seek you in, in prayer and not give up. Lord, we can't wait till you return. And, and we hope, Lord, that you return soon. But if it's, if it's going to be a while, Lord, give us the strength by your spirit to persist in faith to the very end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand up and we'll uh, close with the song.